Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please take your seats as the feature presentation is about to begin. Hello, I'm Marcus, and this is Nick. Hello. And thank you for giving us your time. In return, we shall reward you with a show that's stuffed with movie treats. <laughs> We're going to start with our review of the fantasy adventure comedy, Jumanji, The Next Level. We'll follow that with the Take 5 film quiz. We're going to test your movie trivia knowledge. Mm. And we're going to finish up with our film to rent review, Blinded by the Light. This is the story of a British Pakistani teenager whose life is changed when he discovers the music of Bruce Springsteen. But I'm going to delicately put you in the hands of Nick as he gives you the latest movie news. Okay, thanks, Marcus. So the headlines this time. Atlanta newspaper sues Clint Eastwood over film's portrayal of reporter. And Hollywood Walk of Fame star for a car takes product placement to a new level. Atlanta's leading newspaper has hired a powerful media lawyer known for scaring off journalists for celebrity clients to take on Clint Eastwood's latest film, Richard Jewell, in an argument about the on-screen portrayal of one of its legendary reporters. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution, or AJC, says the depiction in the movie of now-deceased reporter Kathy Scruggs, played in the film by Olivia Wilde, is offensive and highly defamatory. It wants Hollywood executives to add a disclaimer in the film about the part. Richard Jewell depicts Scruggs as sleeping with an FBI agent to draw out information from a source in the aftermath of the 1996 Olympic bombing in Atlanta. The HSC has repeatedly, in recent weeks, denounced the movie's treatment of the veteran reporter who broke the news that the FBI was focusing on Jewell in the investigation. Such a portrayal makes it appear that the AJC sexually exploited its staff and or that it facilitated or condoned offering sexual gratification to sources in exchange for stories. That is entirely false and malicious and it is extremely defamatory and damaging, says the letter from lawyer Marty Singer on behalf of the paper to Eastwood, screenwriter Billy Ray and Warner Brothers executives. The letter was obtained by Deadline. A singer who has defended and represented celebrities for decades, including the likes of Sylvester Stallone, Charlie Sheen and Jeremy Piven, has threatened Eastwood and other Hollywood executives with a defamation lawsuit on behalf of the AJC. It's not how the AJC operates, says Kevin Riley, the paper's top editor to the Daily Beast after Warner Brothers dismissed the paper's claims as baseless. We find it extremely troubling in these times when the media is under almost constant attack for a film that claims to be portraying a real situation to suggest that this is how journalists operate, Riley said. Uh, Olivia Wilde has said that she did her research on Scruggs, but the AJC followed up with close friends, family and former colleagues who say they never heard from Wilde, despite offering their assistance to writers. Oh. I think we all accept that when it comes to uh, autobiographical films um, or stories that or films that are based on true stories, there's a certain element of Hollywood creativity. Yeah, I've I've said this a couple of times in uh, reviews of you know, real life stories. You you do often need to. I think in every case, really, you need to change things a little bit around just to make the story flow better. I mean, even many documentaries will take that selective approach to it. 
but but like, indeed this is this is dangerous ground now isn't there's, it there's still a responsibility to get certain things right and you know based on the the articles i've read uh richard jewell the film has uh, has not taken that responsibility in in hand and the problem is that once the film is out there and once people have seen it mm. opinions will be made yes and based on what they've seen mm-hmm. not everybody watches a film and then jumps online and does their research to see how accurate it was yes yeah and should they have to do that mm. uh, that's a very important question for people to ask themselves in this day and age i think uh well i mean let's let's take the example of bohemian, of bohemian rhapsody mm-hmm. which i sort of mentioned briefly in my review of that film that there was a lot of it that uh uh it it got wrong and in a way that i found was pretty damaging to um freddie mercury standing as a person which was you know very unfortunate because it was ostensibly a film made to celebrate him and i felt that in the end that was uh not really the case i i would just move slightly to the left of that with rocket man as an example yeah with Elton John still being around, yes. and Elton John being a man who will voice his opinions on, on the subjects. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. With legal backing if he needs to. <laughs> yes, I'm not sure he will, yeah. <laughs> I feel that Rocket Man is a fair representation, if not completely accurate in certain areas, maybe, but no, yeah. nothing that, that would be uh, offensive or derogatory. No, and of course made with the you know, very heavy involvement of Elton John himself. So, you know, that is to be commended that he you know, gave his approval to a, very much a warts and all story. So maybe Freddie Mercury may not have been so keen on the final product. I, I absolutely didn't. I, I, I ended my review saying as much, I think. So, I mean, I, I know we've uh, talked negatively in the past about movies based on real events that end with a a bunch of paragraphs explaining what happened afterwards and it's probably a, a more graceful uh, way of correcting any fictional aspects that may crop up in these films but I'm not entirely sure what to suggest really in a way of making it clear um, when movies do let me give you another example real events. in the film Rush uh, the story of Nicky Lauda versus James Hunt in the 1976 Formula One season. Yeah. The whole premise of the story was Lauda versus Hunt. Mm-hmm. It never mentioned during the film that Nicky Lauda and James Hunt were actually quite good friends and at one point lived together. Okay. So that's kind of um, important. Mm. And yet, the way that the film is done, it's no way disrespectful to either of them. So by glossing over that fact to move the story forward it it doesn't really make too much of a difference no but it's not what's happening in the case of this new film yeah i think um i think what needs, needs to happen is, is too hard i think on the one hand audiences should probably be a bit more wary that the films they are seeing aren't necessarily the events as they actually happened at the same time the people making those films sh- should except that there may be an assumption on behalf of audience that uh, that there was so there's, there's got to be something in the middle i think to in a time when people are quite happy to be spoon-fed stories yeah wow yeah who knows hmm. 
The Chevy Suburban has become the first inanimate object to receive a brass and terrazzo star on Hollywood Walk of Fame. The Hollywood Chamber of Commerce, which administers the Walk of Fame, chose the car for its appearance in more than 1,750 movies and its appearance in a film for every year since 1960. Often featuring an all-black exterior and tinted windows, the Chevy Suburban has been featured prominently in films as the decoy car. Some of the models stand out film and TV and credits include the action film John Wick, the 2006 horror movie The Hills of Eyes, and throughout the Sopranos and The Walking Dead's television runs. The Award of Excellence Star is a special recognition that the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce presents to celebrate corporations like Chevrolet. Ronald Gadburn, president and CEO of the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce, told The Guardian, companies that have had a major impact on our economy, whether that's through job creation or their contributions to the community. Gadman declined to comment when asked if Chevrolet had ever donated to the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce. I don't think that's relevant to your article, she said. Mm. When asked why the Chamber selected Chevrolet over other car brands and models with a noted presence in movies, for example the Ford Mustang, which Ford claims has appeared in more than 4,500 films, Gadman responded, Other companies may apply and be selected. This is the company we've chosen and selected this year, and we are very honoured to have selected Chevrolet. Past recipients of the awarding of Excellence Star include Disneyland, the LA Times and the LA Dodgers baseball team. The Hollywood Walk of Fame continues to be a big tourist draw, featuring more than 2,600 stars and sprawling 1.3 miles, pays tribute to the biggest names in pop culture. The Hollywood Chamber of Commerce first envisioned the Walk of Fame in 1953, going on to select recipients and construct the project over the following six years. The attraction draws more than 10 million visitors annually and was designated a historical cultural monument by the state of California in 1978. In recent years, the Walk of Fame has been a site of protests over stars dedicated to controversial public figures, including Donald Trump and Bill Cosby. The Chamber of Commerce has not announced plans to remove Cosby or Trump stars, despite continued vandalism and theft attempts. Wow, Chevy, Suburban. Definitely a car that everyone can picture in their minds when, when it's mentioned. Yeah, because you're all picturing it right now, aren't you? Mm. With its defined lines and distinctive... It's, it's very often thing. black, according to the article. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Very distinctive. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I think the question is, where do you draw a line? Is, is milk gonna get a star because that's been a lot in a lot of movies i like milk yeah more than i do a chevy suburban yeah certainly yeah a lot more useful <laughs> yeah wow so yeah i i'm pretty sure that the way it used to work was that you could nominate anyone within the the category right. um but say for example uh i wanted to nominate nick nolte sure uh he might already have a star i don't know uh, uh maybe it would need to have a letter of agreement from him right. saying, I agree to be nominated. Okay. And then if it's successful, you just pay the small fee, the admin fee, the little, you know, cross the T's, dot the I's fee right. of, of $40,000. Okay. Um, and then, yeah. And then Drop you in the ocean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm guessing that there might be financial money situation desperately trying not to say anything oh i i don't know if that's relevant to the uh the story though marcus it's not relevant is it sorry yeah just more proof that many things in life are not a meritocracy uh despite what they would like to tell us in a world fraught with corruption two men united by fate torn apart by destiny Somewhere between courage and not courage, between the pharmacy and the podiatry clinic, you'll find 
Nick and Marcus in the Sunshine Hospital Radio Studio. Only they can bring you the Sunshine Cinema Show. I think out of, out of all of the bumpers you could have played to switch to the next section, that was probably the most appropriate one. <laughs> okay, let's give you some top fives now. Uh, we're going to tell you what's top five at the box office and top five in the UK film rentals chart. Where should we start? Where should we start? Let's start at the box office. And at number five, we have Le Mans 66. Yeah, uh, which I've seen. I uh, haven't reviewed it on the programme, but I uh, talked about it briefly last time. I, I really enjoyed it. It's a pretty good car movie. Matt Damon is fan- fantastic, as is Christian Bale and uh, the rest of the cast. Most of the driving was uh, filmed for real. It's like proper driving stunt team, which I, I believe is nominated for a couple of awards because of that. And it's, it's great. A lot of fun. And number four, we have Blue Story. Yeah, uh, staying in the uh, top five after quite a few weeks now. It's just, uh, written directed by um, uh, Andre Onwubulu, uh, or uh, known as Ratman, on YouTube. Um, yes, done pretty well, despite some uh, controversy. Seems good. And number three, Last Christmas. Yep, also still hanging around. This is uh, co-written by uh, Emma Thompson, directed by Paul Feig, uh, starring... Uh, Amelia Clark and Emma Thompson and Henry Golding as well. It's a Christmas rom-com here for the uh, holiday season featuring the songs of George Michael. And number two, Knives Out. Yeah, which we reviewed on the programme last time and just, we loved it. Then we got a 9 out of 10. Um, one of the highest scores I've been given up this year so far. And again, terrific cast. Um, if I think it would take too long to <laughs> name everyone, but Daniel Craig is probably the, uh, the biggest draw for people doing a, a Southern American accent. His accent deserves a star on Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> and number one at the UK box office, it's going to be there for a while longer, I suspect. It's Frozen 2. Yep, also doing um, incredibly well, as the, the first one did. Um, I think critical response to this one has been a bit more mixed than the, the first one, but you know, clearly that's not affected if it's uh, box office taking at all. Um, <laughs> Quite frankly, I don't care what the critics say on that. The kids are loving it. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's have a look at the UK film rentals chart. Number five, hey, it's Elf. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so it, it was out in cinemas recently as well for a couple of extra screenings this past week. I've, I, yeah, I saw it for the first time last Christmas. Um, I think I mentioned this in like one of the quizzes we did. I've, I thought it was okay, but it felt to me that maybe because I was watching it as part of a TV broadcast, there might have been a, a small chunk that had been taken out, which meant that um, part of the plot just sort of seemed to happen out of convenience so maybe I need to uh, watch it again to get the full story but I, I enjoyed what I saw Good. Number four we have Spider-Man Far From Home Yep, still uh, still hanging around crawling around even um, as yeah, as Spider-Man films go it's uh, pretty good At Number three, Toy Story 4 Yeah, which uh, reviewed previously on the programme back when it was out in cinemas uh, about six months ago gave it an 8 out of 10, it's um, as almost as good as the the first three. Number two, we have the Lion King. Yeah, also previously reviewed on the program. Um, did a little bit less well than Toy Story Four. Um, yeah, we gave it a four out of ten. It's uh, it just didn't really do anything for us, unfortunately, in comparison to the original. Recently nominated for best animated movie at the Golden Globes because it is an animated movie. And another one. We have Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. Yep, uh, which did a little bit better. Five out of ten when we reviewed it on the the show. I, I think 
definitely they were one of the least fulfilling Fast and Furious films and a lot of them are more fulfilling than you than you might think they are uh, but it just I don't remember too much about it to be honest I remember thinking it was just kind of okay yeah that's it that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay look if, if you've seen any of these films uh, we'd love to know your thoughts on them you can contact us via Twitter we are at Sunshine Cinemax up next however guess what the gang is back that the world's most dangerous game has changed. Find out how when we review Jumanji, the next level. This is the Sunshine Cinema Show. Yep, with Marcus and Nick. Uh, it's time for now for our first review of the programme, which is for Jumanji, the next level, rated 12A. When Spencer goes back into the fantastical world of Jumanji, pals Martha, French and Bethany re-enter the game to bring him home. But everything about Jumanji is about to change, as they soon discover more obstacles and more danger to overcome. You're still talking to your friends? It's complicated. Many a tear has to fall. When we first got together, but it's all we were different people. In the game. All in the <laughs> Grandpa Eddie? Anthony? This is uh, uh, Martha and, and Bethany. This is Spencer's grandfather. Nice to meet you. Morning. Sorry to barge in on you. Uh, you're not barging, he's barging. Milo Walker. <laughs> Did you guys see Spencer? I think he went back in. We gotta go get him. Are you out of your mind? We haven't even picked our guys yet. Oh, he's just part falling. You hear something? Spencer. Huh? What? Who are you? Oh my god. You're Spencer's grandfather. Are we in Florida? And you? My little walker. Did I die and turn into some kind of a Small, muscular boy scout. Are we dead? Bethany? No, no, no! Rich? I'm the old fat dude. This can't be happening! My hip sure feels good now. Look at my thighs. Look at your thighs. Look at my thighs. Okay, we have some issues here. The game is busted! It was a game. I'm not it. I'm the one to be it. Um, Jumanji, the next level. Uh, was directed by Jake Kasdan. Uh, Jake was the executive producer on the previous Jumanji film, Welcome to the Jungle, and he also directed a rather underrated film that we quite often mention on this show, mm-hmm. Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story. I'll be, I'll be talking a bit more about that in a few minutes' time. <laughs> <laughs> now, this film uh, stars Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart, Jack Black, Karen Gillan, and Nick Jonas reprising their roles from the previous film, alongside newcomers Danny Glover and Danny DeVito. Okay, Nick, so for those uh, listening who, well, they might not know, how are these films uh, connected with the original Robbie Williams movie from 1995? Yeah, uh, loosely. <laughs> but not quite as loosely as I'd presumed. Um, so the, the previous movie, uh, subtitled Welcome to the Jungle, came out a couple of years ago, um, which I saw for the first time this week in preparation for the review. Uh, it, that specifically references Alan Parrish, which is the, the name of Robin's, Robin Williams' character in the film, uh, which means that these new films take place in the same uh, fictional universe, same fictional town, actually, it's called, called Brantford. And I'm 
90% sure that were Robin Williams still alive today, they would have found some way to shoehorn him into the uh, proceedings. Although, you know, sadly, that's uh, that's not the case. But the the new films have two key differences. Firstly, the, the game is now a video game rather than a board game. And secondly, the game now traps every player inside itself rather than unleashing wild animals on the, the outside world. Other than that, in, in terms of tone and, let's be honest, quality, the, the films are more or less the same. But the, the new ones have a, a slightly edgier sense of humour. They, you know, they, they have fun with the concept of people being trapped in a video game in a very, in a very knowing way. Um, as you mentioned, this one is uh, uh, co-written and directed by Jake Kanstan, who in 2007 wrote and directed Walk Hard, the Jimmy Cox story, which um, yeah, we, we brought up on the show many times as being not just a very funny movie, but also the only musical biopic you need to see. There are still films being made that use the exact structure that that film mercilessly parodies, which means that the jokes have held up incredibly well as time's gone on. Unfortunately, I don't think that ten years from now anyone's going to be saying the same about his Jumanji movies. I, I thought the first one was fine. Uh, like I said, it's got that knowing sense of humour that keeps things keeps things slightly fresh. Uh, they have fun with the concept of people inhabiting very very different bodies while they're in the game, and you know, the, the joke writing is a little bit sharper than other comedies tackling the same subject might be. And but you know, there's a sense of fun to the the action set pieces as well. The, the problem, though, with both films is that they're saddled with some very cumbersome editing, which not only makes the films feel long, and they're already two hours long, I think you could you could trim off a sizable chunk of that running time without actually taking anything out, um, but it also affects the overall quality of the comedy, because the timing is too slow to feel you know, naturally snappy. The rhythm is a, a little bit too off. And this is something I, I talked about at length in our review of uh, Night School last year. Remember that? Also star Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, definitely had it. Definitely had it. Yeah, not not a film I've thought about since then until <laughs> until this week. This is one of the things with comedy: you have to get the timing right, otherwise the jokes don't land as well as they they could or or, or should. And I have to say, there weren't many laughs happening in in my screening of this one. This. Sequel doesn't really bring anything new to the uh, uh, setup either. There's, there's the early twist, which we heard in the clip about people being in different characters this time, but the, the rest of the movie is largely exactly the same story in different locations, which really makes a negative impact when you're watching these films almost back to back. Because I, I watch these films two, uh, one day apart, and I cannot recommend that experience unfortunately uh the cast remains likable though i mean as mentioned the roles are slightly shuffled around this time meaning that uh, dwayne johnson has to spend a lot of time doing an impression of danny devito and you know what does a lot better than you might get him credit for he's he's, he's pretty good uh Orcofina is a, a great addition but uh i still don't think nick jonas adds much to the ensemble he felt a little bit mis- miscast in the original two like maybe the uh, the character should have been played by someone a little bit older sort of more like a you know, like a swashbucking sort of Carrie Elwes type figure, as opposed to um, someone who was in a boy band relatively recently. Danny's DeVito and Glover, uh, due to the conceit of the story, they aren't actually in the film for too long, so they don't make a, a huge impact, unfortunately. Uh, but it's nice to see Rory McCann getting work after being, in my opinion, very poorly served by the, the final episodes of Game of Thrones. He, uh, he played the hound in that. <laughs> If you enjoyed the first Jumanji film uh, by Jake Kasdan, and you, and you want more of it, then you're not going to go far wrong with this. Yeah. 
uh, I would say with the first one, I could quite happily have it on, go and make a cup of tea, come back, and not feel I'd missed out too much. It was all right. Yeah. With this one, you could go out, make a cup of tea, spend a little bit longer going through the biscuit tin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, the action scenes drag on a little bit as well. Mm. Anyway. So then, Nick, let's give it a Sunshine Cinema score out of 10. Uh, if the first one's a six... I would say that this one is a, is a five. It's not significantly worse than the previous one. It just feels very familiar. I think the worst one is worth checking out if the um, if the concept intrigues you, and you maybe didn't see it when it when it first was released. But I don't think this franchise has the the legs that Sony and you know, maybe Jake Caston think it does. And the ending of this one makes it clear that they're going to be uh, cranking out another one. So who? Diminishing returns. That's no, hopefully they'll, they'll do something a bit more different with the next one. If Thanks. it happens, if it happens. Still to come, our film to rent review is Blinded by the Light, a coming-of-age drama set to the music and lyrics of Bruce Springsteen's timeless songs. But before that, we have the Take Five film quiz. You're listening to Nick and Marcus on the Sunshine Cinema Show. If you'd like to contact the show, uh, as we do love to include your views, you can tweet us at Sunshine Cinemax. Now though, it's time for the Take 5 Film Quiz. So let's take five and test your 1980s movie knowledge with five tricky trivia questions. And let's see if you can get more correct answers and movie maestro Nick. Oh. His target score today is three out of five. Oh, tough one. That's a, that's a, a lower target than, than usual. So yeah, mm. could be. Uh, oh, okay. I think it's a tricky one this week, but you can be the judge of that. So eyes down and trousers up for question number one. Which 1980s movie was the highest-grossing film of the decade? Of the 80s. Correct. Hmm. Hmm. Am I allowed to ask what genre it is? Just to... Just... <laughs> uh, narrow it down a little bit. Sci-fi. Okay. Is this worldwide or... Um, uh... Yes. Okay. Number two. Which 1989 movie was Alan Rickman's first feature film role? Which 1989 movie was Alan Rickman's first feature film role? If you're wondering if it's the one you're thinking of, it's the one you're thinking of. (laughs) Question three. Which 1981 film starring Harrison Ford was nominated for nine Academy Awards? Which 81 film starring Harrison Ford was nominated for nine Academy Awards? Question number four. Which 1980s theme song was entirely instrumental and reached number one in multiple countries due to a later remix? Ooh. 
question five. What Spielberg movie starred Oprah Winfrey and Whoopi Goldberg? What Spielberg movie from the 80s starred Oprah Winfrey and Whoopi Goldberg? Have a little think, and we'll be back very shortly with the answers. You're listening to Nick and Marcus on the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please remember, don't get them wet, keep them out of bright light, and never feed them after midnight. Right then, let's see how you got on. As I give you the answers to take five film quiz. Question number one. I asked you which 80s movie was the highest grossing film of the decade. Okay. Bit of an educated guess, because I think it's maybe the kind of film that has uh, international appeal, because there's not much talking in it. E.T. It's correct. Yeah. Again, the highest grossing film of all time. Briefly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's uh, held that record for 11 years, mm-hmm. until it was surpassed by... Uh, in 1993? 93. I'm not sure. Jurassic Park. Ah, yes. Question two. Which 1989 movie was Alan Rickman's first feature film role? Christmas classic. But yeah, believe it or not, Die Hard. Yes, correct. What a way to start your career. Not bad. It's excellent. Question number three. Which 1981 film starring Harrison Ford was nominated for nine Academy Awards? Uh, I'm going to presume these are mostly uh, technical awards, if I'm correct. Raiders of the Lost Ark? Is correct. Uh, well done. Well done. How many do you think it won? Oh, out of the nine, it was nine f- four. Well, I'm not getting your bonus points, but if I was, no oh, four, yeah, got one. Okay. Do you, which one? Do you know which ones? I don't know. No. Okay. Uh, question four: Which 1980s theme song was entirely instrumental and reached number one in multiple countries due to a later remix? Um, I'm not aware of any remix for this one, but the answer I've written down is Chariots of Fire. Is incorrect. Ah. The film was Beverly Hills Cop. The theme... Oh, Axel F. Oh, taken to number one by the blooming crazy frog. (laughs) It's correct. Wow. Back in the days when you paid for ringtones. Yeah. Wow. Hey, kids. But you missed it, out on that. Here's the thing, though. Ringtone sales didn't um, contribute to the, the singles charts. I, I believe that was purely because of people buying that song on a disc, on physical media, to own. Or maybe give to your friends as a, as a, a, a gag gift or something. There must be charity shops up and down the country <laughs> littered with the CD single of the Crazy Pro- Frog. Probably, probably. <laughs> and they're all you know, pulped or something due to some sort of uh, controversy. <laughs> God willing. <clears throat> well, there was controversy. Was there? Over the video. And oh, that's right. The anatomical representation that, that of is... said Crazy Frog. Yeah, that's a weird thing to include. <laughs> I, uh, anyway. If you don't know what we're talking about, Google Count yourself it. lucky. <laughs> Question five. What Spielberg movie starred Oprah Winfrey and Whoopi Goldberg? Uh, one of his lesser-known works, I believe, but uh, still quite good. Uh, the Colour Purple. Is correct. Nominated 
what, 11 Academy Awards. Yeah, I, I believe it was Whoopi Goldberg's first uh, film role as well, because it has accredited as introducing Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> Speaking of Academy Awards, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, Best Art Direction, Film Editing, Sound, Sound Effects, and uh, Visual Effects. As you said, Technicals. Yeah. And out of interest, do you know how many uh, Oscars Color Purple won out of the 11? Uh, I don't think it was. It would have been many. I don't know. Put me, tell me. None. None. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's four out of five, Nick. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. You beat the target. I did. <laughs> How did you get on? Can you uh, let us know your scores on Twitter at Sunshine Cinemax? We'd be delighted to hear, especially if you uh, you beat Nick. Up next, however, get ready to flash back to the eighties as we review the musical drama Blinded by the Light. This is Nick and Marcus, exclusively on the Sunshine Cinema Show. It's time now for our second review of the programme, which is Blinded by the Lights, which is uh, rated 12. Javed is a Pakistani teenager who experiences racial and economic turmoil while living in Luton in 1987. He writes poetry as a way to escape the intolerance of his hometown and the stubborn views of the traditional father. When a classmate introduces him to the music of Bruce Springsteen, Javid sees parallels between the singer's powerful lyrics and his own working-class environment. Springsteen's melodies soon inspire Javid to find his own voice and follow his dreams. Root! I listen to everything, both tapes. I'm telling you, I can feel it all right here. It's like Bruce knows everything I've ever felt, everything I've ever wanted. I mean... Sometimes I feel so weak, I just want to explode. Explode and tear this whole town apart. Take a knife and cut this pain from my heart. I didn't know music could be like that. I mean, is a dream a lie if it don't come true? Or is it something worse? Congratulations. You popped your bruised cherry. You never forget your first time. Blinded by the Light was directed by Gurinder Chadha, who previously wrote and directed Bend It Like Beckham. Blinded by the Light was inspired by the life of journalist Sarfraz Manzor, and actually based on his memoir. Vivek Kalra stars in the lead role, along with Hayley Atwell, Rod Bryden, Govinda Gear, and Dean Charles Chapman, who are Game of Thrones fans may recognise as Tom and Baratheon. Okay, Nick. Um, we've we've recently had a lot of movies based on like music of specific artists. Yeah, I'm thinking Bohemian Rhapsody, Rocket Man, uh, Yesterday. Yeah, but but this actually had quite a low profile release in comparison. Yes. Yeah. Does it do anything differently to separate itself from from the pack? I, I think it does. Um, I'd, I'd say that there are, there are two things that make it distinctive. Uh, the first is that it's telling a much more uh, relatable story than the other films that uh, that you you mentioned there, because not many people have experienced the uh, the ups and downs of of massive fame. But I, I think we can all relate to uh, feeling directionless uh, during adolescence. I know I certainly can. The other thing is that the the story this film is telling uh, requires examining in depth what makes these songs work and and why they mean so much to people by comparison uh, there wasn't anything like that in in bohemian rhapsody which was 
one of the reasons why the film didn't work for me. We got, we got a few scenes of them recording a song in a studio, but then they just they just focused on the fact that the songs were ones that we already knew quite well. Yesterday, arguably, did the same thing. There's, there's never any question as to why the Beatles songs still resonate in that world. The film just assumes that the audience accepts that they do because it's the Beatles, everyone loves them. Uh, Rocket Man did make an effort in that department. In my review, I highlighted the uh, Crocodile Rock sequence as a, a perfect example of how a film can communicate to the viewer through purely visual indicators what it is that makes these songs special to people and how to do it in a way that works with people that already know the songs and with people that don't know the songs. Or even, as was the case with me and Crocodile Rock, people that do know the songs and don't like them. Because um, you know, I feel like I understand that song better for having seen that film. In the case of Blinded by the Light, allowing the audience to understand the emotional connections people have with the music of Bruce Springsteen isn't just a task that it needs to tick off its checklist. It's the theme of the entire story. And I'm you know, happy to say that I, I feel it approaches that task with competence and pulls it off as, as well it's a more down-to-earth affair than the other films i've just mentioned but for me that was part of the charm of it totally it, it does feel very similar to bend it like beckham um and tackles some of the same things it feels very uh homespun and, and earnest in a, in a way that might potentially put some people off it doesn't shy away from acknowledging and challenging the racism and hardships that javid and his family face but it, it paints its story in quite broad strokes um, no, again, I think that works very well, but I'm aware that the, the film is a lot less complicated than other coming-of-age stories have been recently. And if, for whatever reason, you don't relate to Javed's struggle or his, his newfound passion for Bruce Springsteen, then the, the, the film won't work as well for you. But you know, despite its largely down-to-earth nature, the film still indulges in a couple of musical sequences, which are uh, inspired by Bollywood cinema. But even even those scenes are relatively grounded in reality. It's just a couple of heartwarming moments where people do a bit of singing in, in public. Now, are they cheesy? Yes. Do they work like, like gangbusters? Hell yes, I think they do. I, I cried in the cinema when I watched the, the Born to Run sequence, mostly because it's a song that means a lot to me personally, but it, it's never had quite that effect on me um the, the film doesn't reach that level of emotional resonance after that um but you know and, and the, the effect is somewhat diminished when watching it on a score screen but and i believe i've spoken about this on the show before any film that can elicit that response from me has my immediate and uh, everlasting respect um i think the cast is superb um and overall it's just, just a, a nice little story with some fantastic music <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh I'm not going to rain on your parade with that one, Nick, because I know you got a lot from it. And I will start with the positives. I agree, the cast is good, apart from Rob Brydon's wig, which is far too distracting. Um, That's, I agree with that. That's fair. The, the, the art department did an amazing job on all the retro sweets and uh, crisp packets and mm-hmm. cans of Top Deck. Yeah. I, I, I love that. Um, the continuity department picked up on a little error. There was a scene with a Morris Marina and there was a, a faux orange air freshener hanging from the radium there, which uh-huh. inside the car was there, outside the car wasn't. Okay. Now, the fact that I picked up on an air freshener might indicate my level of attention in this film. It's like me with the uh, with Holmes and Watson. Like I, I, was, I was very engaged with the, the set design of that and, uh, and, and not much else. Nick, Nick mentioned that if you don't 
engage with the, the character's story and you don't engage with the music, you might not get so much out of it. Yeah, that was me. And unfortunately, it, it, it didn't it didn't get me. Um, I don't know. You, you've got to make your own your own call on it, your own judgment on it. Okay. Um, I seem to remember us having a, a very similar conversation about something else. Maybe not recently, but maybe I can't for the life of me figure remember what it was. But I, I think we sort of said if if it works for you, then it works for you. If, if it doesn't, then you know it it doesn't. <laughs> Um, but it worked for me, <laughs> so uh, I'm. I mean, I've got a seven out of ten written down. So uh, see that maybe. I mean, as a film that works for you, it's yeah. worth a seven out of the ten. Okay, yeah. If it's a film that doesn't connect to you, I would have given it a four out of ten. Sure, okay. but we're a positive show, right? So let's go with your positive review. Okay, give that a sunshine cinema rating. Of seven out of ten. You're listening to Nick and Marcus on the Sunshine Cinema Show. Well, we are fast approaching the end of this week's show. Upcoming releases. So we uh, let you in on a few of those. Well, coming up at the cinema on the 19th of December, we have Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Yep. Um, well, you have, yeah, Knife Installment following on from The Last Jedi and The Force Awakens over the last few years. I am cautiously optimistic about it because the the last trailer they released really really did work for me and i i, I love the last jedi so uh we'll see fingers fingers crossed they stick the landing 20th of december we have cats mm-hmm. <laughs> good luck with that police <sighs> why would you release it like the same weekend as- I, I guess maybe they think it's counter programming but i think the i think the overlap in audience between cats and star wars is a lot wider than they think and i don't know that's it thanks for joining us bye if you missed anything in today's episode, you can hear the edited podcast online. Just search for the Sunshine Cinema Show podcast. This is a Sunshine Hospital Radio production. Get well soon.